Welcome to Coffee House. Today we are talking about Red Handed by Peter Schweitzer. Wait, Schweitzer or Schweizer? Schweitzer? I'll say, I'll say Schweitzer. Subtitle, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. It was published in January 2022. That's this year, earlier this year. China has spent the last several decades engaging in a deliberate effort called elite capture. The point is to siphon off political, business, and cultural elites by making them wealthy and ensuring they, instead of fostering the growth and safety of their own country, help China succeed in overcoming the United States. Could be the most important book we read. (laughs) So, as always, we will talk about the contents of this book, then we're going to do an analysis where we discuss the value of the book, and then we will do some big picture discussion to determine how it fits in our broader understanding of the world. I've got a couple of books out if you want to have a look at those. And we'll, yes, have a fiction book coming out relatively soon, and hopefully you will tear it to shreds. I cannot wait to hear the feedback on that book. But before that, we're going to get to this. The contents of Red Handed. The capitalists will sell us the rope with which to hang them. This was an apocryphal quote of Vladimir Lenin, but the sentiment applies. He said it in slightly more words, a little less pithy than that. That the point is, over time, the capitalists will give communist regimes everything they need to destroy the capitalists. So the big idea was that as the CCP and the communist regime in China, as they become more involved in the rest of the world, that they would liberalize. But this has not happened in the way that was expected. So Mao, in 1956, he said that they would make the foreign governments and people serve China. That was the goal, was to make the foreigners serve China. And part of the process of doing this was to capture the elites in all these various countries. They provide the elites with opportunities to get wealthy personally. And then they had this this particular kind of posture when it came to China they expected of the captured elites. They called it big help with a little bad mouth. So in the background, the things that weren't as obvious, all of these elites, these critical elites, would be doing major things that would help China in the short and long term, but they would use a little bad mouth so they could use the cloak of credibility in public. And the book goes on to go through a number of different sectors of the society to show how they've been captured by the Chinese. First, we talk about the Bidens. So in November, on November 28th, 2020, there's a dean of a Chinese university, and he works with the propaganda arm of the CCP, and he talked about how they had old friends, quote-unquote, in the American core of power. He mentioned Biden's son and the deals with Biden's son specifically. And I remember I actually saw this video where he implied that they had somebody in the White House. This was after Biden had ostensibly been elected. And he said they had had people in the highest seats of American government for decades. And Beijing removed the video once it went viral. So we have just a a litany of benefits that have gone to the Bidens over the course of the years that Biden was vice president and now president. The Bidens received $31 million from Chinese with Intel ties. Hunter and Joe had intertwined finances, and uh, a lot of people know by this point, unless they only listen to mainstream media sources, that there were situations where the uh, where Hunter Biden paid for the expenses of the family, and that was including Joe Biden's expenses. So there were emails about it and text messages about it. There's this one time when Hunter set up all the phones for Joe Biden. Uh, there were contractors related to other work that was being being done on the Biden residence. There was a a Raptor truck. I can't remember who makes the Raptor. (laughs) Is it Ford Raptor? But a Raptor truck that was the subject of one of these. There were thousands of emails regarding business interests with China between Hunter and often mentioning Joe by name. 
like one where one of Hunter Biden's business partners was talking about how he's going to discuss with Joe Biden his future earnings potential after having been vice president. At one point, they took Air Force Two. This was to engage with Alamein of Mexico. But there was like an email that was showing his remorse, Hunter Biden's remorse of the fact that Alamein was not responding now after he had given him access And it didn't work for Mexico, but it did work for China. He met with the largest financial institution in China that had ties to the CCP. He was told to send, Hunter Biden was told to send a thank you email from the the vice president's son. He took Air Force Two with Joe Biden to China. His company, BHR, featured Hunter prominently in their materials that were sent to Chinese investors. It bought companies with military applications for China. It did work with a company that was that had members who were later arrested for stealing nuclear secrets. On November 5th, 2011, there were these White House meetings for Chinese businessmen and Chinese representatives that were reflected in an email. There was this, this one company that was effectively China Incorporated. The CEC, which had a bunch of CCP members, the White House logs showed that they had been they had visited. And uh, one of the Chinese CCP members wrote an autobiography and bragged in it about having met with Joe Biden. In 2011, there was a $5 million deal. There were $25 million that went through in between a number of deals. Joe met with the business partners of Hunter Biden from China on a regular basis and other business partners, but especially the ones from China. Some of those meetings were on the books and some of those meetings were off the books. There was an email that was sent to Hunter specifically that said, thank you for letting me meet with your father. It was great meeting him, all that sort of thing. Hunter even represented an organization that supported aggressive military operations against America. They were openly trying to undermine America, and he was a representative of that. Now, one of the things that, of course, is a through line to all of this is that Hunter Biden has virtually no skills or experience for anything except hookers. You know, if you need to negotiate with a hooker, then I'm sure uh, Hunter Biden's your guy. But other than that, he has virtually no expertise in anything. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to have all this kind of cachet with uh, all of these kinds of businesses, other than, you know, the obvious one. Uh, There's Tony Bobulinski that's brought up. He's the one who went on Tucker Carlson and talked about how he met with Joe Biden in person, and they talked about these business dealings. He received an email that said to leave Joe's name out of it because they were really sensitive about that, having Joe be involved. And he got the big guy email that said 10% was for the big guy, but didn't name him personally. But Bobulinski said, yes, obviously that was for Joe Biden. Hunter uh, torpedoed that deal with Bobulinski apparently because he wanted more money. There's another instance where he housed the CEFC, which was another CCP business, and all the Bidens together, including Joe and Jill. And over that year, the CEFC sent $6 million to the Biden family. There were loans that were made interest-free to the, they called it the BD family. And then all along this time, you have Biden discounting China as a threat. There was that one video where he he was like, come on, man, it's not China. China's not the big deal. So lots of concern amidst that. And then we talk about some others that are captured by China. So some of the other ones are even more brazen about it. So like Diane Feinstein, she's been doing this for a long time. She's benefited China in many ways. She praised the Chinese. She said that China was freer than the United States. Uh, she married a man who was doing business in China. She has regular visits and business in China over the course of this entire time. She knew and defended the guy who was responsible for the Tiananmen Square massacre. She had an alleged Chinese spy on staff who was her office director. And it turns out that the Chinese target California heavily when it comes to the representatives or the other cultural figures in California. They target them heavily. 
Then there's Eric Swalwell, of course, and Feng Feng, who's a, a Chinese spy who he had reportedly, or at least impliedly, had a sexual relationship with. Pelosi, on the other hand, she was a vocal critic of China early on. She was very critical of China. When she went to visit at one point early as a representative, she unfurled a banner in China that was critical of the regime and then ran off because the, the security people started chasing her. But she softened over time. Most recently, she ordered Democrats not to coordinate to find the source of the COVID leak. And then there's Mitch McConnell and his wife, Chow, who have the deepest ties to Beijing. They have a shipping business. Through his wife, there's a shipping business where they make millions and millions of dollars and has direct ties to the CCP. At least 20 senators, members of Congress, went to work for China after they had left service in the United States, and they made tons of lobbyists out of represent former representatives in United States Congress that went to work for CCP firms. China specifically uses climate change. That's their big thing is climate change that they use to hobble the rest of the world and gain benefits for themselves. So we had uh, American electric officials explicitly say that the partnering with China for purposes of climate was more important than the human rights abuses that were engaged in by China. So this is a line that they would use to justify being engaged with China on these over any human rights abuses that might come out. Not only that, and this one is probably the most egregious part of it, is that 8 out of 10 largest solar companies in the world are in China. They're Chinese. So a transition into renewable energy sources, so-called, would be to the great benefit of the Chinese. And then we just did, in the middle of a recession and 40-year high inflation, we just passed the Orwellian Inflation Reduction Act that provides tons and tons of money for green solutions to energy. And the whole Green New Deal and Build Back Better and everything that has to do with restructuring our entire economy around these energy sources, just remember that it dramatically benefits China. And that's not even to talk about the ESG requirements that are not imposed upon China, but imposed upon everybody else. The Paris Climate Accords, wherein the rest of the world is hobbled, but China doesn't pay attention to it. All those sorts of things. Okay, and then we got Silicon Valley. That's right. So you thought that, okay, they might have captured many of our political elite, but when it comes to our business elite, they, they're independent, right? Silicon Valley. So Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, etc. They met with Xi in Seattle. Zuckerberg even asked Xi if he would give his name to Zuckerberg's unborn child. His wife was pregnant at the time and his wife is Chinese. And Xi refused because he said that would be too much of a burden. But still, what kind of a fawning, ridiculous way is that to talk to a dictator from China to say, oh, can I use your name for my unborn child? This guy, Liu, visited Facebook. He had this rule on social media in China that if there was misinformation that was posted on Chinese social networks and it got more than 500 likes, you could face imprisonment for years for that. And this is somebody who's being wined and dined by our tech billionaires. Gates has been even worse. Bill Gates has been absolutely horrendous when it comes to China. Microsoft created this blog program that censored words like democracy and anything that was critical, like, you know, free Tibet or anything that was anti-CCP. It would just automatically censor those words. Gates openly praised Xi and acts as an advisor to China. They have this idea of scientific socialism in China they're trying to effectuate, that they create this socialist system entirely based on technology. 
Microsoft is working directly with China for military AI. Gates praised Xi for his handling of COVID despite all the insane human rights abuses that were going on. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation helped expand Chinese influence in Africa. And not just Gates, but Google too. Google censored critical information of China in the YouTube version that went to China. They said it was a mistake at first, but that was obvious BS. Google said that they left after the human rights abuses came out, but they didn't actually leave. They have this Google AI center in China. Peter Thiel, though, Peter Thiel, he has criticized China openly and consistently. He said that any kind of AI technology that you're helping China build, there's a bleed over that's going to go into military technology. So you can't do that. So Peter, Peter's the holdout. So why are they doing this? Why does big tech and Silicon Valley have all these relationships? And there are so many more things that they did that all of these uh, tech company CEOs did to benefit China, but I can't go through all of them. But why are they doing this? It's because data is king. That's one of the big reasons that they do this. You know, if oil was the previous world commodity that everybody was after, now it's data. And China is the new OPEC when it comes to data. China collects way more data than any other country in the world. They collect it on their citizens because their citizens don't have the same rights. And they have a billion of them, so they could just do this on a regular basis. Just tons and tons and tons of data that you can't get anywhere else. There's this one company that a lot of the Silicon Valley companies have invested in, JD.com, and where the founder and CEO, he's a true believer in the communist system. He believes it can be achieved in our generation. He thinks that all companies will be nationalized and robots will do all the work, and then they'll just distribute the wealth apart from that. And one of the most hilarious things, whenever I hear wealthy people talking about anything related to socialism, is that the wealthy can always start now. They can always start today with the distribution of their wealth, like... Uh, what's his name? Mark Ruffalo on Twitter will so, say some kind of stupid thing related to socialism. He can always divest himself. If that's how he believes the world should function, that some people shouldn't be disproportionately benefited by a system or whatever, he can always divest himself of the excess wealth that he has and give it to other people. But they never do. That should be the number one indicator that they're not serious. Anyway, Twitter was founded in 2006, China banned it, and then Twitter started trying to work with the Chinese. They removed accounts of Chinese dissidents, it just said they were applying these anti-spam filters, and that's the reason that they got pushed off. There were a bunch of Chinese accounts when they, were, when they used Twitter that tried to foment the idea that America was on the brink of collapse in 20, early 2021. Tons of accounts that would come on and just talk about how everything is terrible in America and it's about to fall and all that kind of thing. And Tesla doesn't get out of this either. So Tencent, the Chinese company, bought a 5% stake in Tesla. And then soon after, they, China eliminated all regulatory requirements so that Tesla was able to build a plant with, within a year in China. Musk previously had said that he was not going to build in China, that he would stick to building in America. But then, you know, they sweetened the deal. They really wanted Musk to help in pushing back against Trump because Trump was doing a bunch of different things. There are tons of things throughout the book that's, that are talked about that Trump was doing to uh, hobble the Chinese and trying to gain access to the country. So they were trying to enlist Musk to try to push back against Trump. But eventually Musk, you know, gave in and he talked about how China rocks, in my opinion, and that in the U.S. a lot of people are much more complacent, but there's a whole bunch of energy in China that they want to accomplish things. 
But one of the lines that has been the, the consistent one throughout over years and years when it comes to Silicon Valley and the technological sector is that they say that we have to be engaged with China. We can't decouple from China. We have to be engaged with them. And politicians and business leaders and all those have consistently talked about how we have to stay engaged with China because it'll help them democratize and suddenly become liberalized just on that basis. But Peter Thiel has called them useful idiots, and that position has been borne out over the course of the years, because that is definitely not what has happened. Then we talk about the financial sector, where Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, these big banks do things like they have this one person who used to work for Goldman Sachs who went to work at a Chinese university, the biggest one in China. And then it gives Goldman Sachs a means of entering the Chinese market through that way, because you have to be invited to be able to invest into the Chinese market. Big Wall Street firms, they bring in children of CCP officials to gain access that way. There's this one billionaire, Ray Dalio. He's a hedge fund manager and calls himself a freedom skeptic, but he's very pro-China. There's BlackRock. Of course, we've heard a lot about BlackRock recently. They bought Barclays in 2008-2009 crash and then ended up being this huge benefit. They're almost a shadow government now, a kind of a fourth branch of government they've been called. But they say, and that's why you see so many of these companies doing this, they, you have to factor social and environmental concerns and serve a social purpose, not just do your business. It's financials plus the social aspect. And it's not for the sake of benefiting society. It's, uh, that's not what they're trying to accomplish. It's for the sake of instituting more controls and having more access to more aspects of life than just the thing like you are just providing cotton swabs or something like that. BlackRock boycotted Saudi Arabia over the Khashoggi killing, but they haven't had any problem with China, no matter all the human rights abuses, whether it's Uyghur Muslims or doctors being silenced or killed or just plain human rights abuses, it doesn't matter. They think that China will be the best partner long-term, BlackRock does. Then we talk about some other officials, you know, like Henry Kissinger. He defended Tiananmen Square. He rejected economic sanctions. He said that doing nothing was a testament to maturity after the Chinese massacred a bunch of their own citizens. And it turned out he was neck deep in commercial deals with the Chinese government. Condoleezza Rice, you know, the Secretary of State under George Bush, she had a particular role related to the export of U.S. tech to China. You know, you had to keep this demarcation, they said, between uh, just regular tech and military tech. But she formed this consulting firm in 2009 that's supposed to guide companies through the tech export rules. And it has a secret client list and she does all sorts of work with Chinese companies. There's this guy, Bacchus, who referenced Joseph McCarthy and Hitler uh, when trying to decry Trump for saying that the Chinese spread the COVID virus and said that a whole bunch of people in the United States are intimidated by Trump so they wouldn't speak up about he was being a McCarthyite and Hitlerite for suggesting that China had a role in spreading the virus. And he was quoted widely in Chinese outlets positively. Bacchus also dismissed claims of genocide when it came to Uyghur Muslims and, of course, didn't mention the business dealings, the, the many business dealings that he had in China. Then we have political families, the Bushes and the Trudeaus, the dynasties especially. Trudeau was on camera talking about the level of admiration that he had for China because the dictatorship allows them to do anything, especially on climate. Bush's son said similar things. Jeb Bush had a lot of meeting with the Chinese officials. H.W. Bush took positions beneficial to China. The father of Trudeau was uh, the prime minister for years and did things to benefit China. In 2019, the Canada Spy Agency destroyed the records of Pierre Trudeau, his father, before they were supposed to be released so everybody could see what they had on him. There were all these writings about how socialism will eventually come out the winner. 
China when he was younger. He visited China with a partner and praised China. He ignored the Red Terror. He met with Chairman Mao and this other guy. And he wrote a book that was openly supportive of the communist regime. There's this suspension of judgment toward China altogether. And Justin Trudeau had similar views. Alexander Trudeau, another relative, praised Fidel Castro in all these glowing terms. And one of the funny things about the whole thing is that it's not really Chinese thought <laughs> that is what's spurning all of this. Marxism and Leninism is a Western idea. It's not a Chinese idea. But there was this official government push to try to make Canadians like China more, and it doesn't seem to have worked. <laughs> Then in higher education, similar situation. There's this guy, Cy, who bought an NBA team. And then when the Houston Rockets, there was uh, like one of the coaches or something like that, called out China in a tweet or at a press conference. And this guy, Cy, who had ties to China, said it was out of bounds and issued this public letter calling it dangerous to criticize China in this way. LeBron James, of course, told him that you can't talk about China in that way. And LeBron James releases these shoes in China first. He has these China editions specifically. Specific shoes. These Chinese companies co-produced these movies that were starring LeBron James. He sells a number of products for Chinese companies in China. And then all the stuff spills onto the campus at Yale. There are these multiple charities. There are all these charities that would have very similar names. You know, they just switch the name around a little bit and they would give to Yale. But there's this requirement that if a university in the United States gets money from a foreign government, they have to disclose that. But if you base your charity in California, then the university won't have to disclose that it's from a foreign entity. But hundreds of millions of dollars have gone to Yale, Stanford, and the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And you see this one uh, repost that you always get is that when somebody criticizes something that's happening in China, Russia uses the same tactic. If you criticize human rights abuses in China, then they will just say that, oh, look at the injustices or the human rights abuses in the United States. So it makes perfect sense that all of these have been so advertised way beyond the bounds of explanation uh, when it comes to what's unjust that's going on in the United States, but tons and tons of money has been donated on behalf of the Chinese to social justice causes in the United States to foment that idea that there are so many terrible things going on. Yale even has deep historical ties to China. They have tons of Chinese students, but they actively court Chinese students. Early on, they made this, this decision that they were going to court China in general. They have this joint research in software engineering that goes on, including military research. They have a Yale-China association. Yale gave $20 million in seed funding to a Chinese company that's based in Beijing. It was the first foreign university that was allowed to trade stocks in China. Because again, you have to be invited. So overall, elite capture worked spectacularly. It's been going on for decades and has worked incredibly well. So how do you fight back? This is what the author goes to now, after all that depression. There are laws that ban foreign funds in a lot of different cases, but what they do is they set up local companies and just do it from there. Not all lobbying is bad, but military and intel-linked companies should be banned from American stock markets. Companies must disclose links to China. We have to apply ESG standards to the Chinese firms too, because those are unilaterally applied to Western countries. We have to speak honestly about China and what they're doing. Shareholder activism, so shareholders can show up at these companies and ask about these kinds of ties and put pressure on boards to do something about it. You have to reject the entire outlook regarding China re-engagement. That has not worked. By every measure, it has failed. You don't have better trade policies. Beijing just became more ambitious and they reject the collaborative nations kind of idea of the world. That policy has only been good for China and American elites who have gotten rich from it. 
We have to see China as a competitor and rival, and we have to replace engagement with reciprocity. So anything that China does, any impositions that they make on our companies or what we do over there, then we have to do the same to them here and have consistent rules across the board. There are some people doing good. The first one that he mentions, Donald J. Trump. That's right. He was the one who took strong positions against what China was doing. Chuck Schumer, even, on the other side, he's somebody who's been consistently anti-China, apparently. Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Joe Manchin have consistently been calling out China. I think you have to look at their voting records to see how much they've actually done, including Schumer, but they've apparently been openly anti-China along the way. And then Peter Thiel, like I said, he's been an outspoken critic of China and runs his businesses that way. He will not do business with adversaries of the United States. I mean, what an amazing guy. We're lucky to have that billionaire. (laughs) Then analysis. Okay, so it's a great book. I mean, everything that I brought up went into detail about how these things are known specifically. So it would talk about the emails, the public statements, the financial records. So you can know where these things come from. It speaks in plain language and it doesn't overstate what it knows. That's a big deal. Big picture wise, there's an active class and an idle class. The idle class is far more numerous, but far less organized. And there's a large subsection of them that are easily manipulated. It's like water flowing down a mountain. It will seek the easiest path. Humans do the same thing with cognition. The easy path for a lot of people, they use a heuristic for every political issue, has been, you know, anti or pro orange man. Everything is broken into a binary. It's an easy heuristic for people to use. So people who are dishonest about Trump or any other kind of of national issue, they're not necessarily malicious, but it is a microcosm of how people make political decisions who are not engaged in politics as an intellectual pursuit. Politics as an emotional pursuit requires far less effort and far less information. So we not only have to be right, propose and effectuate policies that are better for people, but we have to make it easier than simple emotional reactions that are guided by an entrenched elite. On top of that, there's the pure power politics of Russia and China, taking us back to the Dark Ages that we have to contend with. But whatever the case, uh, that was a fun, important book. It was something that I just recently heard about existing, so I wanted to have a look at it, especially in light of everything that's going on right before the midterms. So plug that one in, and then we'll get back to the other ones that we're reading. And those should be coming out next week, but I hope all is well. I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye. (laughs)